0: This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2.
1: Duncan, imagine this kind of adventure race. 1,600 kilometres of mountain ranges, frozen rivers, dense forest, winds that can cause a complete loss of visibility, long hours of darkness, and temperatures below zero. Are there wolves? Tell me there are wolves. And bears. It is the world's longest winter ultra marathon on bicycle, foot, or skis, and it's called, Duncan, the Iditarod. That's it. The event takes up to 30 days, but many competitors don't complete it. Well, Troy Schakowsky is a Brisbane bike mechanic who conquered the race at the age of 44, and he joins us on the
2: show. Hello, Troy. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you today?
0: Doing well, man, but I'm pretty sure you must be slightly insane because why would you ever sign up for this race?
2: Oh, look, that's a question that a lot of people ask me, and, you know, probably for very good reason. Um... For me, it just represents so many different things that I get to indulge in uh, from a, uh, a, a camping environment in an extreme extreme sort of place. Um, the bicycle side of things, that that draws me in. And, um, yeah, just being out and having an adventure and challenging uh, challenging
0: yourself. Mate, can you just kind of take us through... Because I know of the I did a rod from... They didn't say it right. It's I did a rod. I did a rod from... From dog sled racing, but <laughs> I had no clue you could do this adventure on a bicycle. That that sounds even harder because you don't have huskies pulling you along.
2: That's right. Look where it where it stemmed from. Way back in the um, in the last century, like the, in the late nineties, the challenge went down to uh, the mountain bikers of Alaska. Uh, from uh, one of the the, the great uh, the greats of the dog sledding uh, era uh, was the challenge to the mountain bikers that they could not ride a bike on the Iditarod Trail. And from there, people brought out all kinds of things uh, to uh, to conquer that. And now to the modern fat bike that we have, it's, uh, it's definitely – the weather hasn't changed, the challenge hasn't changed, but the technology has made it probably just that little bit easier.
0: Um, I don't know if the bicycle appreciates you calling it fat. Um,
2: <laughs> can you break down what a fat bike is? Yes, yeah, so a fat bike is uh, basically – it has five-inch wide tyres, um, it it have, has the ability to carry a lot of, uh, a lot of equipment, which you do need. Uh, during the race, we, we carry all of our own survival gear uh, and our food for anywhere up to, to five days at a stretch. Uh, so it's, um, it, it's geared pretty much for, for that environment with those big tyres so they can float over the snow.
1: Was there any points along the race itself when you thought, what am I doing? <laughs> This is, this, is, this is a terrible idea because this sounds really quite dangerous and scary. Didn't Brisbane you have any is like
2: that? temperate, it's nice, it's beautiful. Yes. Oh, look, up here in Queensland, you know, we've got some great islands and beaches to ride on. and I do use them as part of my training and, and part of the time I do, I, I spend out there uh, riding my bike and then to wait out the tide, I'll, I'll sit in the hammock and, and just admire the view. And that goes through my mind so many times. Why am I here in Alaska slogging it out yeah. when I could just be sitting in a hammock, you know, reading a book? Um, it, it, yeah, look, there's not a not a moment that goes by when you're not thinking that life could be better, but that's that's part of the reason why you go over there is to, to challenge yourself and, and dig that little bit deeper and, and find out, you know, truly what you're made of.
0: Was there a moment on the course where you thought to yourself, I'm not going to be able to finish this?
2: Um no that that hasn't come uh, yet. Uh, there's always been a solution. Uh, I, I always look for that solution as opposed to looking for the easy way out. Um, I, a, a lot of the times you, you are faced with a lot of challenges that can sometimes seem insurmountable but if you just pause, take a moment to reflect and uh, and, and analyse things and generally you can work, out, work through a solution uh, and that's usually the way forward.
1: Now I'm sure that there's a lot of planning and organisation that goes into a race like this, but anything could go wrong, I imagine. Did did anything go wrong?
2: Um, I've had uh, frostbite, uh, stage 2 frostbite on my big toes after several days of uh, minus 40 temperatures. So it's just cumulative. Um, uh, and with that, you just have to do a, a field treatment. On that, um, From a, a mechanical side of things, not much has happened to my own bikes, but I have spent a lot of time fixing other people's bikes. Being a bike mechanic, it's, it's something that when you do see someone in trouble, the, the camaraderie is there, that you, you want to have a positive influence on the outcome of their race as well. So it can be a butterfly effect, a small input f- from you with your skills and, and the, the, the tools that you have on board can mean the difference between them scratching or finishing the race.
0: You're 44.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You go home and announce to the wife and the kids that you're going to fly off to Alaska to do a 1600 kilometer bike ride in minus 40 degree snow. <laughs> How
2: does
0: that conversation go down at home?
2: Well, uh, there's there's always been there's always been a lot of support from from my wife and daughter. Um, my, we've been married for for over 25 years, and uh, the support has always been there. Uh, it's it's interesting though. Uh, to, to get on the on the start line for the 1,600-kilometre race, you have to complete the 350-mile or the 500-kilometre event first as a qualifier. And in 2016, I decided quietly that I'd like to go back and do the 1,000-mile race after I'd finished the uh, the short course. My wife found out on Facebook. I'd actually put it up there and <laughs> shared, shared that I was on the roster with a few mates. And uh, Nairam, no, she saw it and she goes, are oh, you going back to Alaska? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> you know. so, so that was an interesting, uh, interesting thing. But you know, many times over now, we've we've seen the positives in our family, uh, the, the family legacy that we uh, that we have as well. In, in having done something like this, it, it gives our family strength, uh, and also something to reflect back on. That uh, you know, in those, those tough times, you there are things that can be uh, that can be tougher.
1: Look, when you finish a race like this do you feel a sense of contentment or do you feel like, okay, what's the next challenge?
2: Oh, it's both. It's both. Yeah, there's that, that feeling of intrinsic reward um, that you've achieved something fairly substantial and it's been all of your own work. Uh, being a solo race, you rely wholly and solely on yourself. But then there's always, uh, well, my personality anyway, it's, it's all about, well, maybe I could do things a little bit better. It's it's that continual self-improvement. So, uh I go through and I ride an extensive list of things that worked and things that didn't work and from there extrapolate a bit of data and, and look at areas where I can improve. Uh, and I, I tend to roll that out in other areas of life as well. But um, for, for me, that's that's probably the biggest thing is looking at looking at the overall picture and thinking, where could I do better and how can I go about that? And that's, that's you know one of the things that keeps me going back to Alaska each year.
0: 2016, you did this event. How many of these scale rides have you done since then?
2: Um, Iditarod is, is something that I, I train for each year. It's the only, uh, ultra distance race that I do. So, um, every like 12 months of work and planning goes into that one, uh, that one event.
0: So, so hold on, how many times have you done it?
2: Oh, well, 2016 was the first year I did the thousand. 2015, I did the 350, uh, mile race. Uh, so I... 2020 will be my fifth consecutive 1,000-mile event. I I, I think sometimes that I'm a really slow learner or I have just like a certain element of trail amnesia. I'm not sure. There's probably therapy I could get for it, but I don't know.
1: (laughs) Well, I kind of feel like it's good because I can live vicariously through you. I would never do this, but I feel like having talked to you today that I've been
0: part of the adventure.
2: Mm, oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's multifaceted, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> have you seen any like? I mean, have you? What kind of? Have you seen any wildlife out there? Do you get to encounter any of that?
2: Yeah, look, there uh, are moose. Uh, there there are wolves. They're, there's actually a famous story of one of the uh, one of the foot runners um, being. He got caught in his sleeping bag one night. His zipper froze from his breath, so he, he was there in his sleeping bag and he, and he sort of heard some movement around his uh, around his camp. And it was being uh, circled by some wolves. Not, not necessarily they're ready to tear him apart, but they were inquisitive. They were wondering, you know, are you edible or not? And with his zipper frozen, he, he said he just felt like a, a giant burrito. <laughs> 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 just curled up. <laughs> but uh, wolves are one thing. They're fairly, um, they're fairly uh, harmless. Uh, you don't really get any encounters with them. But moose can be a problem. Um, they can uh, they can sort of st- stop you on the trail uh, and you know, they're sort of big and dumb and they, they kind of hang out on the trail and you know wait for you to make the move and you wait for them to make a move so you end up with a little bit of a standoff.
1: Wow. Um,
2: a racer in, in 20, uh, 2019 this year that had an encounter with a bear, a very large grizzly that was uh, that had woken early. Uh, it's most of the grizzlies are asleep at that time, but this this guy was uh, was up, and he was hungry, and uh, he decided that um, he was out looking for food. But uh, there's not a lot of meat on uh, on us fat bikers once we've been out there for 20-plus days. <laughs> we're fairly emaciated. <laughs> <sighs> I'm telling you, aren't I? Yes. Yeah, it's mm.
0: oh, extraordinary. It's extraordinary. <laughs> I think I, if I was to do it, I'd do the sled dog version just because I at least get a moment where I can just let the dogs do the work.
2: Well, the pluses with this race, though, the food that you can eat—the calories are, are immeasurable. You're trying to you're trying to meet about a nine thousand calorie demand from your body alone, and uh, so so you want to eat that chocolate? You go eat it. You want to eat a whole family block? No problem. Three family blocks—it's it's, uh, guilt free. Unbelievable.
1: Well, I'm Unbelievable. signing up now. Uh, if I can <laughs> eat that much chocolate, <laughs> Troy Tchaikovsky, you are incredible. And we really love hearing about the idea, Rod, something that many of us, in fact, pretty much all of us, will never do except for you. So congratulations on your efforts and all the best for 2020.
2: Thanks very much, guys. We're looking forward to it already. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.